credit, the glory for my salvation from beginning to end goes to the triune God. Uh, but but in He, but I am persevering. I am actually um, uh, remaining in that that um, that state. But it's because of His work. Hello, and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host, James Dolezal. James, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, Jonathan. And I, sh- I should ask you, how are you? Because I never do ask. I just say I'm fine. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm doing well. Always good to be uh, on the podcast with you. And uh, yeah, it's just I'm, I'm doing I'm doing really well. So um, today, of course, we're doing something a little bit different, although not not something we haven't done before. It's not unprecedented, but I am handing the uh, the, the questioning microphone, as it were, over to you. And uh, and we're going to discuss perseverance of the saints today. Good. Well, let's uh, let's get into it and uh, want to talk about this really precious and important doctrine. And uh, unfortunately, not one that all professing Christians subscribe to, but we want to say they should um, uh, for lots of reasons. So let's let's get into this, Jonathan. What is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? How would you if you gave a summary statement of it? Yeah. Yeah, no, well, I'll give a kind of non-technical summary that I think captures it, which is that those whom God has actually called to himself savingly, that he's actually called and saved, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, justified by the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, those who are saved um, will persevere till the end. And that is to say that they will be raised up on the last day to put it in the, in the language that Jesus uses in, in John chapter six, that, that the work of the triune God in salvation is a work that he brings to completion in the lives of those whom he's chosen. So using that idiom, someone can't be raised up with Christ now and fail to be finally in the outer man raised up with him uh, in the great day. That, 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 that's exactly right. Those who are given to the son by the father. And again, I'm thinking in terms of John chapter six, those who are given to the son by the father uh, are actually, actually do come and actually do believe. And they are actually raised up on the last day by Jesus Christ. Those whom the father has given me, I have lost none. Uh, That's exactly right. And, And I will raise them up on the last day. Yeah, so that's the and, and so maybe we can just get to the inflection then in the in the doctrine of perseverance. Um, may, maybe I should ask it this way. Maybe it's a both and type of answer. Who is doing the persevering? And I, I don't mean I don't mean to make a false antithesis there. Maybe that's putting it too bluntly. But who's doing the persevering? Well, the the believer is persevering, but the one who's preserving him is is the triune God. So there's a sense in which you could say, um, I, as a Christian, will persevere. But at the end of it all, you're not the one who receives the, the credit for it. You're not the one who receives the glory for it because it doesn't depend on your free will. It doesn't depend on your uh, stick-to-itiveness, although the Lord works through those means. But it actually is 
God's work from beginning to end. So that at the end, you say uh, the, 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 the credit, the glory for my salvation from beginning to end goes to the triune God. Uh, but, but in he, but I am persevering. I am actually, um, uh, remaining in that, that, um, that state, but it's because of his work. It seems to me that both aspects of what you brought out there could be found in Philippians, like in one six, it says that he who began a good exactly. work in you will complete it or perfect it. And so there's God's, as it were, obviously in a different mode than us persevering or continuing to completion what he began. But then I think in chapter three, yeah. Paul says, uh, but I press on that I may lay hold of that yeah. for which I was laid hold uh, by God, by yeah. Christ. And this, I think, gets to the central um, misunderstanding that people have about this doctrine today that they assume that if if the Bible teaches that those whom God saves, he ra- actually raises up, those who are justified are also glorified. Those who come to him in faith really actually are raised up on the last day. That if those things are true, if that doctrine is true, then uh, what that means is that we kind of sit back and relax and we're just along for the ride. You kind of get on the roller coaster, close your eyes and, and just wait for it to end. But in fact, actually, in the New Testament, that's not at all how perseverance plays out. And it's not at all how the Christian life is meant to go. In fact, what it means is that we strive, we labor, we work hard. And the New Testament's full of those kinds of exhortations and commands that we need to press on, that we need to turn or turn away from sin and continue in repentance, that, that in a sense... Um, we are striving is what God uses uh, to to bring about this uh, perseverance. So it's not something passive on the part of the recipient, that is the believer, but it's actually something that's meant to, to push us towards um, activity and purpose. You know, Paul is Paul, of course, holds these things in perfect harmony when he says. Uh, things like this. I worked harder than all of them. And say, well, that that sounds like it's you doing the work. And then Paul says, yet not I, but the grace of God uh, working in me. And that is the continual refrain of the New Testament. So, so I want to say, it, all the credit goes to God. All the glory goes to God. It is ultimately a work of the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in bringing sinners to salvation. And yet. Uh, those who are justified are commanded to strive and are commanded to not fall into disbelief and to not um, give up in their struggle against sin. I think of the the Pelagian and semi-Pelagian argument against this doctrine, which is that it will lead to moral rot um, and moral indigence so that uh, libertinism. Uh, isn't this just security? And I, I wonder if we could, is, uh, security is just in what we're saying, clearly wrapped up in this, but this sounds like something more than just the mantra, once saved, always saved. There's a there's a happening, a, an action uh, that is part of this, not just a kind of passivity that says, I'm, I'm safe, I prayed the prayer, I walked the aisle, I signed the card. Right, well, I think that's, that's the key, what you, what, the way you framed it at the end. And I think there is a sense in which, and I know we don't say this often in our circles, 
for, for a lot of good reasons. But there is a sense in which, of course, one safe, always safe is true. But but typically what goes along with that is what, what they mean by save is something like raise the hand, walk the aisle, said a prayer. And, and of course, that's not the way saving faith is portrayed in the New Testament. And so um, it is true that uh, someone who is genuinely saved won't lose that salvation, but to frame it in that way usually brings in a whole lot of theological baggage that's not biblical, which is why perseverance of the saints is a better way of framing it. Because what that what that implies and what that, what that assumes is that, in fact, what we're talking about here is a, a saving faith that, that really matches up with what the Bible says saving faith is. Saving faith, according to scripture, is faith that ultimately um, that, that perseveres in, in, that, in that confidence. So we're not saying that God just simply gives us a, a good start in regeneration um, or in initial um, sanctification or definitive sanctification, but that actually the progressive work is also his ongoing saving work uh, in us. Yeah, that, that's 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 exactly right. So, so the triune God doesn't just yes, like you said, doesn't just give us a start. No, the triune God is at work: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and the the He gives us the Spirit, and we know what the Spirit is doing in our lives. He's conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. He's sealing us. He is He is transforming us sanctifying us and so you can't separate that 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 uh, growth in grace that sanctification process you can't separate that out as if as if you could just have justification without also having sanctification no god god is at work why can't why can't we pull that apart i mean i can formally distinguish those in my mind why can't i materially pull those apart in my salvation well because the bible uh, shows that they're inseparable i mean the, the bible makes it clear that these things are absolutely in, in, inseparable that you can't have one without the other and if you think you have one but do not possess the other then you're 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 kidding yourself you're lying to yourself um and and, and so that that's the basic reason. The basic reason is that God is one and that the triune God is one and, and, and works in all of his ways um, in, in, in concert, in harmony. And so you don't get justification without sanctification. You know, this the, the way it plays out popularly, and, I, and I've heard this, I remember very distinctly, it's very, very sad, but I remember distinctly being at a, a, a funeral service for a, a young man who had died in his early 20s and had led a very dissolute life, which actually led to his uh, led to his death. And I remember someone standing up and saying, well, you know, of course, he he was never he never engaged in public worship. He lived his life uh, apart from the teaching of scripture completely. I mean, he just he just. He just lived without God in, in, in the world completely, as far as as far as anyone knew, uh, even his close friends and family. And yet, and yet, there was that moment when his grandmother brought him to a BBS when he was five, and he and he held up his hand. So therefore, we know where he is now. And that that's a sort of sad and but but popular version of separating out what they call justification with 
anything else related to the doctrine of salvation. And of course, the problem with that is that what they were terming justification or being saved isn't what the Bible terms being saved. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a whole transformation of, of God the Father, or through, by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let me throw the one objection uh, at this that we often hear. Uh, that example is is one, and you're right, too, too often repeated. But what about backsliding? Uh, is if perseverance is one of the is part of the package of salvation that we get when we're united with Christ uh, and that God who began the good work in us will perfect it. Uh, why does it not seem in each of our lives that it's always upward and onward? Why do what about backsliding? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, perhaps the, the most complete, um, at least within a confession, a uh, complete confessional statement of this, you can find in the Westminster Confession, chapter 17, which is on the perseverance of the saints. And, and paragraph three says this. Nevertheless, they may, so it's, it's established this doctrine of perseverance. And then it says, nevertheless, uh, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, preservation fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, 51 where where david who is who is a believer for a time caught in grievous and unconfessed sin and and because of that it goes on to say they can incur god's displeasure and grieve the holy spirit we're warned in ephesians 4 against grieving the holy spirit which means that it's possible to do so and and because of that we can be deprived of the comforts that God gives and even, even assurance that God might give, we could harden our hearts. Uh, we're warned against that by Jesus or the prophets warned against that. We can, we can damage our conscience such that we're sinning and, and it just doesn't even bother us anymore. And certainly we can, we can bring scandal to the name of Christ and even, even judgment upon ourselves. But, but the point of that is that that is not the ultimate state or, or balance, if you will, of the life of, of the believer. So yeah, all those things are possible. Um, but I'll say this from a pastoral perspective. If you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't use that as a kind of escape clause, because if you are caught in a situation where you're sinning grievously and willfully, and it just doesn't even bother you anymore, and, and, and you, you really don't even care, and, and you have no interest in repenting, you have no interest in the things of the Lord, that should not say to you, well, maybe I'm in paragraph three of Perseverance of the Saints, Westminster 17. No, what that should say to you is, you know, you have no reason at that point to be confident in your your, um, salvation. But it is a fact that there are genuine believers who go through periods of time where that is a reality in their life. Good. Last. Uh, yes, it is. I think the norm, right? The norm is progress. I, I think uh, in Herman Ritterboss, he has a discussion in his book on Paul, uh, an outline of his theology, where he discusses the whole question of backsliding. And and yet I think he says, but the norm of faith is ever strengthening, ever renewed. Uh 
even if there are these moments. So Paul will talk about those who are caught in a trespass, but it sounds like that's an exception over time to a progression and to a maturation that is happening. Um, Right, right, right. So in the final accounting, that's not, we would say that's not who they are. And this is also why Christians are exhorted in the New Testament to make sure that they not identify themselves by their sins. Paul says, such some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Now, when Paul says that, he's well aware of the fact that there are, there are those in Corinth, he writes it to the Corinthian church, there are those in Corinth who are actually engaged in terrible sins that they need to repent of. But, but the point is, that's not who they are. And, and he needs them to recognize that as part of their process of maybe a a modern kind of application of this i do think there's a tendency with some sort of chic and culturally approved sins uh in which we make that a hard and immutable part of our identity to try to wed that to christ jesus into our profession of faith in him as if this is the thing that christ can't remove from me as far as an immutable identity goes and i i just wonder if this is if this is just completely undermining our doctrine of perser- of perseverance in which there is a progressive strengthening and transformation going on as the ordinary course of our lives in Christ. Well, I think that's right. I mean, I think if you, if you, um, if you are identifying yourself in that way and you are seeing these immutable sins as the essence of who you are, and you also claim to be joined to Jesus Christ. Those things simply are incompatible in the New Testament. You cannot hold those things together. Now, it's not to say you can't be caught in sin. Christians are, and, 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 and the Bible's full of those examples, and our lives are full of those examples. But, but it's to say that if you reach a point where you say, who I am fundamentally is um, is wrapped up in this particular sin or this particular desire that's antithetical to the new testament's doctrine of regeneration and of sanctification remember paul refers to the the churches to which he writes as saints i mean these are these are set apart holy ones that doesn't mean it in the sense that kind of modern roman catholic sense but but nonetheless christians are rightly called saints set apart ones holy ones made holy by virtue of their union with Jesus Christ and set apart by the Holy Spirit of God for, for righteousness and not for giving over their members uh, as instruments of sin. So maybe a final thought as we come to a conclusion. Um, how should the Christian be affected by this biblical truth? What, what, how should we be warned and consoled by it? Well, I think it should really be a great comfort to Christians, first of all. I mean, I think we... we We've done so much, even in this conversation, to try to um, hedge hedge it in and make sure that people don't use this as a kind of false way of buttressing their confidence. But there is there is a very fundamental sense in which this should bring Christians confidence that God, who began a good work, will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. And that is what a great joy it is to have those promises. That I I I, I frequently meditate on Jesus' words in John six. Um, I, I will lose none of all the Father has given me, but raise it up on the last day. I mean, what a great promise from Jesus Christ. So I think we, we should start there. But at the same time, 
when we dig a little deeper and say, how does this play out on the pages of scripture? The way it plays out is because of that, we are exhorted to no longer consider ourselves as, um, as being enslaved to sin and to therefore pursue righteousness and, and holiness and, and greater communion with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by means of the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. That's great. Jonathan, thanks for taking time on this today. And I know that you'll want to close us out with uh, a, a book offer. And so I'll turn that over to you. Yes. Yeah, so so for those of you who are interested in this, one, one of the things that I hope has come out in this conversation is that you can't discuss perseverance without discussing the other aspects of our of our salvation. And so one of the best books that we know of to, that encapsulates these doctrines of salvation is Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. And no doubt, if you look through the archives of Theology on the Go, we have not only mentioned this book, but we may have given it away in the past. I'm not sure. And um, we're, 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 we, we have a couple copies to give away now. So if you go to placefortruth.org or uh, theologyonthego.org and, and, and click on the links, uh, that enable you to enter your information, you can uh, win a copy of this book, uh, Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. I'll also say this, if you're able to donate to the work of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that on the sites I mentioned before or at alliancenet.org. There are donate buttons on each of those sites, and it's really straightforward. And so we can really use your help. We rely on your help. Uh, if you can pass along this podcast to others who might be interested, that is always a help. And if you can rate and review, very simple thing, it'll take you 10 seconds to do it, but if you can rate and review the podcast wherever it is you download it, that actually helps us spread the word as well. Uh, and as always, from James and I, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.